0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast created exclusively for those on their journey to build their family with donor conception. I'm your host, Lisa Schumann. As a researcher, a therapist, and an expert in donor conception, I'm passionate about helping people on their journey. And after decades of working in the field, working on site at some of the best fertility clinics in the world, and through my group, the Center for Family Building, I've run workshops for donor-conceived children and have met thousands of donors and donor recipients. In this podcast, I will share the tools and the truths that you need to have a better path to parenthood or help tackle those really tough parenting issues. If it's about donor conception, we're going to talk about it. And today, we're here to welcome Jane Mattis. Jane Mattis is a wonderful human being and an icon and a therapist and the founder of Single Mothers by Choice. She started Single Mothers by Choice in 1981 after deciding that she wanted to develop a community for herself after she had her son on her own and is now a grandmother and is enjoying all the joys of being a grandmother as well. She's built Single Mothers by Choice from the ground up and she has many, many. Uh, followers and viewers and people that she helps every day through her practice and also through the Single Mothers by Choice program that is now international. Welcome, Jane. Thanks so much for coming. And uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your journey to become a single mother by choice.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me, Lisa. I'm happy to be here. I, as you said, started Single Mothers by Choice after I became a single mother by choice. And I felt I needed a little community for myself of people who actually understood what it was like to be the sole parent 24-7, because I found that other people didn't quite get it. I mean, they sort of got it, but they really didn't get it. We really uh, were lucky that we found each other in 1981, before internet, before email. It seems like a miracle looking back on it. And the other reason I, I wanted a community was to help my son by him seeing that there were other families that didn't have a daddy in the home, you know, just like our family. Now, I felt that would be important to him. And it turns out he told me recently that it was actually very important to him, that he just took it for granted that there were all kinds of different families. So that was how it started.
0: It's wonderful. And Jane, we've known each other for a really long time, I guess, like maybe two decades now, right? When I was working with Reproductive Medicine Associates of New York and uh, you came in and were so generous with your time as you are today and always, and talked a lot uh, about what it's like for people to be single parents by choice and, you know, since then, you've come in to help me talk about other subjects. you worked with me at Reproductive Medicine Associates of Connecticut, which is now a loom fertility, and we've got given talks together there. So we've been together kind of through the years watching everything change and watching the evolution of donor conception. What do you see as some of the things that have been really important to your um, audience and to people who are pursuing donor conception to be a single mother by choice? This is totally not a
1: medical or technological change, but I think the most important change is the knowledge and understanding of the world about donor conception. I think you know when when I first heard of it i i it was like a shock to me I didn't know there was such a thing in uh nineteen eighty and um most people didn't know about it. they would ask, "What is that when it it was just such a, a complete mystery, I guess is the word to people. They just didn't know what to think, what to make of it. it seemed very controversial at the beginning. And little by little, over the forty one or so years that single mothers by choice has been around, it seems like everybody now knows exactly what it is and either knows somebody who used it or knows somebody who knows somebody who used it. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. It's it's just um Just another way to get pregnant. And I think along with that has come a new kind of phenomenon, which I've only seen in about the last four or five years, where women in their 20s who are not up against the clock, as was the original population that we saw, uh, where their fertility were 36, 37, 35, their fertility was starting to diminish. That was usually the reason people turned to donor conception and single motherhood by choice. But now we're finding women in their mid to late 20s who are exploring the option of whether perhaps to have a child when they're younger. And to therefore have, for one thing, the the possibility of having more children. Many, many more people are having two children than I think it's probably a majority now almost. It used to be, yeah, it used to be uh, like, wow, if I can do this with one child, I would be thrilled. Now it's like, well, I would really like two, maybe three. And uh, yeah, and the younger women are saying, I'm not sure that the traditional order of things is the right one for me. You know, job, career, you know, finish your education, get a job, get your career established somewhere in there. If you're lucky, get married and then have a child. By which time you are up against a lot of possible fertility challenges. So women are actually considering whether they want to change that order and maybe have children in their late 20s, early 30s.
0: Yeah, I think that's so uh, important for people to hear because uh, so many women that I meet, and I I suspect you hear the same, feel that, well, if I'm not going to meet a partner, then it's never going to happen. Right, and I think the way that we're seeing the world is so different now, right? There are all different kinds of families, all different ways to build a family, all different th- ways to think about your family and as you're saying, these w- women who are pursuing single parenthood are having two and three children and saying, "Okay, maybe I'll find a partner later, maybe I won't. They have all so many choices, and right. it's so wonderful for women to to feel that freedom, I think,
1: yeah, I wish I had a dollar for every woman. Who- older generation who came up to me in the, the earlier days of single mothers by choice especially and said, I wish I had done what you did, but I got married and divorced instead. People mm-hmm. felt they had to get married if they wanted to be a mother. And the two things are really quite different and um, different skills are needed. So it's it's interesting that people are separating out all these different
0: things. Yeah, it is interesting and so courageous for these women who are just starting to do that uh, to really feel empowered to do it. I think it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's a terrible feeling to think you have to get married or else you may not be a mother. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. And you helped to change that for so many women, Jane. You and the organization that you built from the ground up is so phenomenal and really changed, I think, the lives of so many people because they did have that uh, power because they felt anchored to a, a group of people who could help them feel good and supported and didn't feel alone. And that's, I think, so important.
1: Thank you. I, I really am glad about that. And also that the stigma has disappeared. You know, we hardly even talk about stigma anymore, but in the early days, it was a big question for everybody about how do I deal with the stigma it's just not something we hear mm-hmm. anymore it's hardly ever mentioned I mean I used to do all sorts of interviews especially when this was novel and every media person would say what about the stigma yeah well, nobody asked
0: that anymore when you see these new clients come in and they're talking they were once talking about the stigma and that was really pressing for them as they decided, well, could I do this? Now, what do you see as some of the biggest hurdles that people face when they come in? Well, one of the hurdles is the grief. There is some grieving uh,
1: for the women who really had a strong dream of the traditional family you know, arrangement with a marriage first, and then the child and a partner to raise a child with there is still a little bit of grieving for some women and a lot for other women that uh, there won't be a partner to raise the child with and that that dream wasn't fulfilled the way they thought it would be as far as the other hurdles um uh, financial hurdles are certainly there unless you have very good insurance which actually is also changing more and more insurance is covering not just basic fertility Workups, but pretty advanced fertility treatments are being covered more and more. So, a lot of the hurdles that we saw early on are just really disappearing.
0: That's fantastic. That's really great. So, when people come in and they say, you know, I have some of these hurdles that I've got to overcome, like the grief, how do you find that they, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be curious about this, how do you find that they? are able to bridge that gap. I mean, I suspect that having the support of your organization is a big part of it, right? Having other people to talk to. Are there other things that you find are very helpful for women to say, okay, I can do this alone?
1: Yeah, actually, while you're grieving, you have to grieve. I mean, there's no way around it. But it helps to know that there's something on the other side. Mm -hmm. And what they get from the organization is that they they can go to meetings they can be on our online forum and actually see and learn about what they will be getting mm-hmm. so that it's it's a big difference from just having to grieve a loss to knowing that you'll you'll have something new in its place a new dream is possible and it's really for people sometimes amazing We hear when they go to meetings, they're shocked that these women aren't bedraggled and and complaining that the women are enjoying being mothers, that this is the Mm. fulfillment of a dream. And in all honesty, not all married people feel that way. That's true. (laughs) About raising children. So, you know, we're, we're in some ways a more upbeat, positive group of mothers than the average, I think.
0: Well, I think, um, you know, Jane, having that community is so great because for the average person who looks at the research, there's so much research out there that's negative about single moms because it's really about divorce moms, right? When you have all right. the strife in your life right. from your divorce and there's so much research about that, I think it scares people and makes them afraid. So I think what you're saying is, yeah. is so poignant that that when people can see here's this community of people and they're really thriving, it really helps to kind of anchor yourself. At least you feel like you can maybe get through it and you can pursue it, which is not easy, right? I mean, every part of it from choosing a donor to being pregnant alone is not the same as maybe right. your friends. So, right, yeah.
1: That's the whole reason for a community is that you're not alone. Yeah, For example, on our online forum, we have cohort threads by cycle dates. By due dates, so that women who are uh, going through the fertility treatments, whatever they may be, on the same cycle are all on the same thread and they can track each other's success and grieve each other's uh, sadness when it doesn't work out and celebrate the happiness when it does work out. And the same thing with the the due date, the trimester due date threads. Uh, The women on those threads bond around the fact that. They are going to give birth around the same time, Mm -hmm. and they're not alone. So it's a big piece. This not being alone is one of our main goals as an organization because you're right. The hardest part is feeling alone, and that is why I created the organization because I didn't want to feel so alone. But I wanted to add something about the research, if I could, that the, the, the better research, and there is some, has actually shown that children of single mothers do as well as the children of married couples and better than children of divorced couples. Makes perfect sense. So that speaks to what you were saying that, you know, there was no angst. There was no anger and, and uh, tension and loss in the home. If it's, it's a home that's um, run by a mother who's, achieved a goal and is very excited and happy to be a mother and uh, so that really does help the well-being of the children
0: it's fantastic that's great and where do you see these um you know single mothers by choice kind of feeling inspired by the potential for those women who want a partner feeling inspired by other people who are saying okay i don't need to have a partner right now, maybe I, I, I have the biological clock ticking, or I have the grandparents who want a grandchildren, or whatever is motivating me to do it now, is kind of pushing me in the direction of having a baby now. But I really want to have a partner. So how can I really think about that? Am I thinking about, you know, a year after I have the child, I can start dating or two years or three years? What do most of your clients say? Well, there is a big section on our forum about
1: dating. It's a very lively forum. And the gist of it is that you start dating when you want to sleep no longer alone. For the first couple of years, a lot of people say, Oh, they want mm-hmm. to do sleep. I mean, they don't get enough sleep. They're sleep deprived. But they want to sleep alone. I mean, the last thing they want yes, to do is have anybody else mm-hmm. in the bed with them. So when you're ready to not sleep alone is um, probably when you're ready to start dating. And for some people, it's sooner than others. It depends on how motivated you are, you know, like with anything else. But it's certainly possible and doable. And we have plenty of members who've actually gotten married after they've had one or even two children. So it doesn't rule out dating or marriage.
0: That's great. That's fantastic. That's so interesting that that's when people decide, okay, well, I don't want to sleep alone anymore. It's time. Yeah, I mean, sleeping
1: alone is a priority, yes. you know, just
0: sleeping is for a priority
1: mm-hmm. for a long time, <laughs> for a new mom.
0: And do you see women, you said that you're seeing some women who are in their 20s, are you also seeing women who are maybe a little bit more um, clear about their fertility? Because maybe, you know, for many, many years, it was very difficult for women just to absorb the idea that, you know, a my fertility is an issue and nature is not always kind to women. And I really need to take this seriously. Are you starting to see more of that? I think women are much more aware now than they were certainly 40
1: years ago, even 30 years ago, that fertility isn't um, something you have forever, if that's what you're asking, that, that they're clear that they have to think about it and make a choice. I mean, one one of the things we say about our organization is we're not an advocacy group. As much as I love single motherhood, it's not for everybody. So we try very hard to help women in the thinking stage. About 50% of our members are what we call thinkers to decide if this is right for them or not. Because if you're very ambivalent about motherhood, this is going to be much more challenging than if you really, really strongly Mm -hmm. want to be a mother. So I just think that people, women in particular, knowing more about how fertility works has been a big change and a helpful one, because uh, it used to be a shock to women that they would be 36 and all of a sudden find out that their fertility was not great.
0: Yeah. Also wondering about something else with regard to that. You know, I have um, seen people pursue single motherhood and- Decide that they're going to wrap their mind around using a sperm donor or for men using, you know, an egg donor. And then all of a sudden they have fertility problems, right? They may be a little bit older or there's some other issues and they have fertility problems. And then all of a sudden it's almost like they're going back to the same place where they started. They have to open the same door. Now, it's a different story now. I'm not going to have my genetics anymore. Do I really want to pa- be a parent? Do I really want to be a single parent? Do I really want to take this all on? Yeah. Is it worth it? And is it so disappointing to yeah. not use my genetics that it's not worth it, right? So, so I'm wondering if you're seeing that too. Absolutely,
1: I do a lot of individual consultations with women and who are considering single motherhood or are already mm-hmm. single mothering by choice and that question is a big one when women realize they can no longer have their biological connection to their child that they have to go through donor egg and donor sperm or an embryo mm-hmm. donation from somebody and it's a le- another leap of faith and another change from what we were always grow- taught to expect when we grew up of course, a mother has a genetic connection to her child. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what everybody assumes, right? And as you get older, you begin to learn that sometimes that's not possible. So it it is a hard one. But I do find that with a little bit of help, people can get over that hurdle. Because, you know, when you think about it, look how people feel about pets. I mean, people adore their mm-hmm. pets. There's no genetic connection there. And they will go to all sorts of lengths to take care of their pets. And the child doesn't care about the genetic connection. The child will love the mother because it's their mother. And that's not a genetic role, (laughs) a social role, actually. So I think it is not that difficult to overcome, but it is another hurdle that some women definitely struggle with and have to come to terms with.
0: So I have one person in my practice who decided actually that when she wanted to pursue single parenthood, she was fine until she couldn't use her genetics. And then when she realized she couldn't use her genetics, she said, well, it's going to be so difficult for me to get over that hurdle that maybe the only way I can make peace with this is if I had a partner. So where she once felt like having a partner was not going to be the most important thing she could run her life by herself with a child, it's no problem. Now, all of a sudden, the pain of not using her own genetics was so hard. She thought, okay, well, now I really want a partner. It's almost as if there was some kind of warmth or attachment lost in that discovery of not being able to use her genetics. And somehow, having a partner would kind of give her some more connection and love in her life. And so it kind of shifted everything for her.
1: Right. Her priorities changed.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, And it does sound like there
1: might have been a piece in there of thinking that the love wouldn't be the same as it would be with a genetic child, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, she, you know, she understands the need for using an egg donor and felt okay with it. But all of a sudden now she thought, well, if I have to go through all of this, now I want to do it with a partner. So I'm going to start dating again before I pursue it. So I'm wondering, do do people come to you and have shifts like this? Like, you know, obviously, if they're looking at your website or they're coming to you for counsel, they, they're, they're thinking about it. Do you find that there are many people who get further along in the process, either because they need um, an egg donor or because there's something else in their life where they say, OK, you know what? I thought about this, but I changed my mind. I can't do it. Sure. There are people
1: who change their mind when they see it at meetings, and they see that it is not an easy thing to be a mother, married or single. Um, honestly, I have a grandchild now, and I see my son and daughter-in-law, and my God, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I have forgotten mm-hmm. how exhausting it is. My son is 42 now. It's a long time since I mothered a toddler, and uh, watching them, it, it, it's unbelievably exhausting. So sure, some people get a real picture of what it's like and say, whoa, I could never do this without a partner. And other people say, you know, it's just too much grief. I don't want to give up the dream. I'm going to try harder to find a partner, perhaps like the person you were talking about, and then reconsider what I want to do. You know, is, is a partner alone enough or do I want a partner and still try for a child? <laughs> and hope for the best you know i mean everybody has to really come to their own comfort level in this i do want to restate that we are not an advocacy group and i personally don't think motherhood is for everyone and single motherhood is certainly not for everyone
0: so do you think that the people who actually pursue it that they're when you see them come in it's very clear to them that this is what they want more than anything you know, they, this is so important to them because I, I would imagine it would have to be, right? They have to make it a real priority. It's such a, so effortful. Once people make the decision,
1: the tenacity is incredible. I mean, the things that people go through are, as you well know, physically demanding, emotionally demanding, uh, time-consuming, expensive. I mean, there's, it's it's a really challenging path. And people, when it, I mean, I am just in awe sometimes of people's determination. They just are not going to give up until they reach that goal or until it is clear as possible. I mean, it, it couldn't be any clearer. And maybe then they will give up. Or, which you mentioned we might discuss also, look at adoption, which is a whole other area which is complicated in
0: its own way. Very complicated, yes. Yes. And has gotten more complicated. Much more complicated, complicated yes. Yeah. There's no picnic. No, it's true. And I, I was also wondering, Jane, because you do see so many women who are um, pursuing uh, single motherhood, do you think that— When someone's choosing a donor, as you know, we've spoken about, it's so, such a difficult process to think through. And as you know, I'm writing a book about this. It's hard for people to be practical, right? Even in the best of all possible circumstances where you have the partner and you have the finances and you have everything, whatever that is that you want, it's hard enough Mm -hmm. to say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm wondering if you find that um, the women that you see, is it harder for them because they're looking at the donor as somebody who might have been like a partner of theirs? You know, they're looking for a certain type of look, or do you think that they can equally be as clear about this is the genetic loading, this is what I need for my future child? Do you think that th- that sometimes those particular, those women that you were speaking about who want a partner but can't have one, that it's hard for them not to kind of say, you know, that's the guy that I would have picked for a husband or whatever.
1: Sure. That's a much more comfortable choice. Uh, this is someone I can relate to. This is someone I would have wanted to date. This may even have been something somebody, somebody I would have married, wanted to marry. I mean, it, it's easier. It, it feels more comfortable. That's a certain kind of woman. There's another kind of woman that's very much more focused on how successful has this donor been in terms of pregnancies? Where that's their priority. They want someone who's had a lot of successful pregnancies. The sperm really works, and, and that's their priority. So it depends a lot on the personality, but certainly there's a lot of women have said it's uh, looking through the, the catalog of sperm donors is kind of like online dating for some people, um, where you just try and find somebody who looks like somebody. Who you would date? There are other people who actually look for someone who looks like they would belong in their family, because they don't want the child. If if everybody in your family is blonde, you wouldn't necessarily want a brunette donor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If the child would turn out to stand out in the child in the family as the only one who is in the blonde. I mean that's an extreme example, but I think you know what I mean. Yes, you a lot of people want somebody who looks like they belong in the family. Right. It's another criteria.
0: Interesting. And then the other question I I was really curious about, and we're going to have someone on the show who runs kind of a a dating website for sperm donors. Um, I'm seeing a lot more of it in my practice, and I suspect you're probably seeing in your organization of known donations. Where you have somebody that you know, either somebody that you're co-parenting with, or maybe a friend or relative, or somebody that you know who you want to be your sperm donor. Are you seeing that at single mothers by choice? We are seeing that,
1: um, not in great numbers. A lot of people consider it actually, and then decide not to go ahead with it mm-hmm. because there are a lot of risks involved. You know, in, yeah, in terms of um, a known donor. If it's someone you've known your whole life, you know them, you have a pretty good idea of who they are, maybe less risky. Mm -hmm. If it's somebody you've met on a website and you really don't know them at all, it's extremely risky. Yes. In terms of possible, um, I mean, you don't know if the person's being truthful, you don't know what the legal, potential legal issues could be that might come up later. It's just um, a lot of people, once they really think about it, We see that happening where they come in and that they're all. I really wanted to be somebody who I can at least say I've met Mm -hmm. that isn't a total stranger. And then a large percentage of them change their mind.
0: Change their mind. We
1: should when in the process while going through the thought process with the help of the other members who have also considered Mm -hmm. it and or you know ruled it out for various reasons. But there is. a lot of controversy, let's put it mildly, about that approach.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. And there have been a lot of, um, you know, stories about people online who, you know, just want to meet the person, the recipient, and have sex with them, or, yeah. or you know, they, they feel this mission to kind of spread their sperm around the world, and, you know, they have right. a lot of unhealthy reasons for right. donating sperm. Right.
1: Plus, the whole anonymity issue is changing. It used to be that donors actually were anonymous if, if they wanted to be. But now with Ancestry and 23andMe and you know similar places, it, it's highly unlikely that the person can stay anonymous. Yes. Because the minute you go for any kind of genetic testing that involves your child's genes, and if you go on one of those sites that give you information about the genetic Connections, you're highly likely to find a relative of some course. sort. So they're not. There's almost no such thing as anonymous donors anymore.
0: Yeah. So it's a it's a really interesting time, isn't it?
1: It certainly mm-hmm. is, and getting more interesting every day. I mean, we haven't even talked about donor siblings.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you seeing a lot it's of a discussions about that?
1: Sure. I mean, when we first started, there was no such thing. I mean, people couldn't find, you know, there was no internet. Mm-hmm. There was no way to find the um, offspring, other offspring of the donor. Now it's very easy. And people are forming donor sibling groups on Facebook. There are many, many of them. And they're meeting and they're, um, mm-hmm. they're forming. I did some research uh, with Rosanna Hertz on the subject of the new extended family or the new, the new families which really is the extended family now includes the donor siblings who you are genetically related to, who you may or may not want to have a connection to. Just like in your actual biological family, there are people you might want to be more close to and people you might not want to be close to at
0: all. Yes, absolutely. And we, for those listeners who are hearing this, we had Wendy Kramer, who's the founder of the Donor Sibling Registry. On uh, So I suggest we we listen to that if you're interested in this topic. And also uh, Michael Green, who is a sperm donor who has a relationship with his offspring, with many offspring at this point. Um, And he was a sperm donor many, many years ago, and is also um, a psychologist whose practices in this area. So yeah, there's a lot of great information about this and so many groups like the donor sibling registry, which connects people and people are developing all kinds of relationships. And, you know, as Wendy Kramer said in her, her meeting with us, you know, you look around the Thanksgiving table, some people you're going to like, some people you're not going to like, right. And so you're, you may like your donor related siblings, you may not, and that's okay. Um, You know, it's, it's a whole new world and, you have that, this opportunity to have lots of people that uh, you can feel connected to. So it's it's really nice. Yeah, it's also nice if it's driven by the child because a lot
1: of the children who are only children wanted siblings. Mm-hmm. And so in, in a way that fulfills a need potentially um, for a, a large number of siblings, right. sometimes more than one would expect. Yes, yes,
0: yeah. Well, this is so helpful and so informative, Jane. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we wind down? You've been so helpful in, you know, educating everyone about single motherhood. Well, the one thing I think people ask
1: the most that we didn't touch on is how do the kids turn out? Mm -hmm. You know, now that we've been around for 41 years, we can tell you the kids turn out like all other kids. um, Slightly better sometimes because the mothers tend to be more educated than the average person. The fears that we all had that this method of um, their conception would be a burning issue for them and that they would be troubled by it and, and turn out to have all kinds of issues, I can tell you not happened at all. I mean, I think 41 years is a pretty good evidence. Yes. If, it, if it was going to happen, it would have happened mm-hmm. by now. And what we're seeing is the kids are just like all other kids. They're terrific ones. There are not so terrific right. ones and everything in between. That's wonderful. And they're
0: not upset about being donor-conceived. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> Isn't that nice to know? It's so important to know for our listeners that these children turn out great and also they experience You know, they understand their donor conception story and they feel comfortable with it, right?
1: Right. Really, research, can I just add one more thing? Yes, please. Research has shown that what a child needs to turn out well is at least one parent who is reliable, dependable, and loving. And in other words, a good attachment to one parent is what a child needs. Mm -hmm. And there's no research that seems to prove that the number of parents matters as much as the attachment. Yes.
0: Well, that's great. And what a wonderful note to close on. Um, So thank you, Jane. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. It's always so nice to see you. I'm glad we can continue to communicate and I hope you'll come on again soon. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So. For all of you listening, I hope that you can um, subscribe to this podcast. That's how we keep going. And please uh, find us at familybuilding.net. We have a lot of resources there. And uh, you can sign up for our mailing list and be part of our community. We'd really love to have you join our community. So thanks again. And thanks again, Jane.